welcome to Act Dad, the Awesome Dad Show. I'm your host, Mark Spawn, and I'm thrilled to have you here with me today. Today's interview is epic. It was such an honor getting an opportunity to chat with today's guest. Not only is he a Super Bowl winning quarterback, he is a father of four, and he's had some incredible ups and downs, some amazing life experiences. I am referring to none other than Mr. Trent Dilfer. Our discussion today took a lot of twists and turns. We talked about the four phases of parenting. We talked about when to coach your kids and when to listen. We talked about the impact of teen sports on fatherhood. We even cover an extremely difficult topic for Trent, which is the passing of his only son. I was almost hesitant to even have this part of the discussion because it's so heavy, but the Act Dad show is all about giving you the tools to be the best father you can be. And the reality is that tomorrow is not promised. And I think it's really important that we're having discussions like this. If you're going through a really, really difficult time, if you're dealing with the passing of a loved one, this episode and the suggestions and tools that Trent gives you may help you to push through to the next day. Like always, I definitely would like to invite you to check out Act a Dad, the Awesome Dad group over on Facebook. That is another fantastic resource for you and a great place to link up with other awesome dads. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and go ahead and leave a review. Thank you once again for listening. Let's get right into the interview with Trent Dilfer. Mr. Trent Dilfer. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Jordan told me this was a great gig, so pumped to do it. Fantastic. I'm just, I can't thank you enough for being here today, Trent. And it was, I was, I was looking at your background, man, there's so many different ways that this conversation could have went, <laughs> right? You just, you've done so many things. And I think the, the way I'd like to handle it, it, look, all dads have ups and downs in, in life. And that's something that I really think about a lot is how to handle the ups and the downs. So that's one of the themes I'd like to, to cover here today. Let's do it. I've had plenty of downs and some ups as well. Absolutely. As, as we all have. So let's start. I want to start with football, with maybe the epitome of your professional career. Trent, how would you compare the feeling of lifting up the Lombardi trophy versus lifting up your first child? I think they're different emotions. You know, I think winning the Super Bowl was obviously every child's dream that plays football come true. And, and uh, there was a lot of relief to it. You know, honestly, there's just a lot of relief to knowing that your investment, knowing all the sacrifices I've made and or had made to that time and kind of paid off. And, and I knew I was very fortunate at that time. I played with the greatest defense in the history of football and um, was part of an incredible group of guys. And I was just one piece of the puzzle. wasn't the primary piece. You know, holding your first child, I mean, to me, my wife and I always dreamed of, I mean, that was our dream, was to have a family as soon as we could. And, and uh, we also knew the burden and responsibility that came with that. Just different emotions. You know, just very, both awesome. Both, I, I wish everybody got the chance to experience. Unfortunately, not everybody does. I, I'd have a hard time articulating where the, where those emotions blend because they're just very different, very distinct. I could definitely appreciate that. I could definitely appreciate that. Being a father, just holding your kid for the first time is a very special moment, but definitely hitting the epitome of all the goals that you've worked at for years and years and years, obviously a very special moment as well. How important was team sports to you, Trent, in helping you to be a father? What lessons did you learn in team sports? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, 
you know, I'm a big proponent of team sports, whether it be football, any team sport, because you, you learn that it's bigger than you. You learn how to serve and give. You learn how to sacrifice. You learn how many times to work really hard and not get rewarded for that work. Mm. Uh, and a lot of that cross-pollinates with parenting. There's a lot of what I call lonely work in parenting, um, where not everybody sees what you're doing. You're not celebrated for, moms especially, the dirty work you do so that your child has the best opportunity to reach their potential. It, team sports teaches you a lot of that. Teach you, teaches you resolve, resolve, teaches you how to stay positive in the midst of some negative situations, teaches you how to push yourself to limits. I, I remember when Maddie, our oldest, was really young and I was still, I was early in my football career and, uh, and then my wife was pregnant with our second and there'd be nights where you'd only get four or five hours of sleep and it, that's not an excuse not to go to work the next day and perform at your best. Like you, you learn those things too, that circumstances can't always dictate your performance. So I think team sports teaches you a lot of those things that especially as a young parent that you, you lean on when you're like, what in the heck did we sign up for? Like, yeah, we love this little thing so much and it brings us tons of joy, but it's a boatload of work. And, and then I even go on as they're, you know, toddler phases and preteen and teen. There's just so many things that come up that my background in team sports, my background as the son of a coach, my mom was a coach, you know, just so many things I learned as a young person transferred over to good parenting techniques. I think that makes a lot of sense. My parents were coaches as well. My father coached me through various leagues. And I feel like I have a lot of appreciation for that. You've had the chance to coach your children as well. Is that, is that right, Trent? How important is coaching to you in that process? You yeah, I've been really, I've been careful there. So just for background, I, I, I was playing until 2007. So my oldest was 12 when I retired. I could have coached their volleyball teams and basketball teams and soccer teams. Instead, I just really wanted to be dad. They leaned on me a lot for coach advice. So I would say, like, I've had some of their coaches say, man, I'm so glad you were their mental coach. And I really wasn't their mental coach. I, it, we had a great tool that Maddie, my oldest, and I stumbled into. And I'll tell the story because it's worth telling. I've used this all over the country. And in fact, a lot of people have, have taken and run with this because it's a really good parenting technique that I lucked into. As a bald guy, I always have a hat, right? It's always a hat on my uh, dashboard. And one day I'd pick Maddie up from volleyball practice. She was probably 13 or 14. I think it was her eighth grade year or freshman year. And, you know, typical, highly competitive type A, high achiever was frustrated with a bunch of stuff. And she got in the car after practice and she, we get in the car and she starts dumping on me. This isn't going well. And I'm not doing this and that person here. And they're teaching me that and just basically dumping. And I go into father fix mode. So I start trying to fix everything. And she looks at me with a tear in her eyes. First time she'd ever done this, she looked at a tear, tear in her eyes. She goes, dad, I just want you to be dad and listen. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. And I was like, whoa, Okay. Right, I don't want to make that mistake again, Maddie. How do you want to deal with this? And she goes, well, I want to be able to ask you when I want you to coach me, and I just want you to listen to me when I want you to be dad. And I said, well, how do I know that? Mm. You know, I don't know. I can't read your mind. She goes, yeah, because I love it when you coach me on stuff, but there's just times I just want to yell and scream and cry and, and have you love me and say I hear you. I said, I'll tell you what. And I picked up a hat on my dashboard, and I put the hat on. 
And I said, how about if we have an agreement? When the hat's on, true coach's hat, I'll coach you. And when the hat's off, I'll only be that. She goes, that's a great idea. And I said, I'll tell you one more thing. You get to ask me when I put the coach's hat on. So I'll always have the coach's hat off until you or your sisters ask me to put it on. And it has been the best thing we've done. My relationship with my girls, because they ask often, hey, will you, will you coach me up? And now we don't necessarily put the hat on, but they know to ask, hey, will you coach me up on something? Or there's times if they don't ask, I'm just going to listen as dad. And I may have the answer that can help them. I may have some wisdom, but I'm not going to give it unless they ask. I want them to know that I'm dad first, that I'll listen to them, that I'll, I'll cry with them, I'll sympathize with them. But when they ask me to put that hat on, then I go into coach mode. And then they also understand when I'm coaching them, we got to separate the dad-daughter thing because a lot of times I'll give them some harsh feedback. And to their credit, all three of them, they can take it now because they know they can differentiate between, oh, this is my dad who's just loving on me and helping me grow up as a human, or this is my coach that wants me to perform at my highest level and he may have to tell me some tough stuff or put me in my place. Of all the things we've done parenting, it's been one of the better things we've done. Trent, I absolutely love that because like you said, sometimes our kids, they just want us to listen to them, right? And, and I also suffer from that fix it father routine, yeah. that profile. When I see a problem, I just have to fix it. I, I run into the same issue with my wife sometimes too. Sometimes she just wants to talk to me ask me questions. She doesn't want me to tell her how to fix it. I mean, I think this is probably a common thread of mine in, in all phases of life. But I yeah, really I, like well, I, I'm 25 years in marriage. I don't think I figured that one out quite yet. <laughs> but if you stuff. did, write a book, she's please. Not real, she's not real happy with me most of the time. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's fair enough. It's a constant, that's a constant process too, right? Just constant work. Trent, one of the things that you just briefly touched on, one of the things that Jordan mentioned to me that I thought was really, really interesting, one of the reasons I really wanted to speak with you, is you laid out a strategy of, of the four phases of parenting. I'd love to hear a little bit about that from you. Could you explain what the four phases of parenting are? Yeah, and I totally stole this. So I did, this is not my own thought leadership here. I stole this from a really, really wise man uh, who lives in Alabama, who teaches a lot of parenting and uh, marital, marital stuff. and it. it it made so much sense to me because I learned this when I had one that was in high school, one in junior high, and one that was still kind of in that elementary school time frame. And, uh, you know, you start off as a caretaker. Really, the first two, three years of your life, uh, you're a caretaker. You're just trying to keep them alive. Right. I mean, really, you're just trying to, you know, make sure they eat and function, stay healthy. So you're just a caretaker. And really that is your primary role as caretaker. And, and then you move kind of into what uh, you call the cop phase, where you're policing their behavior. You're, you're trying to police their activity, whether it's to keep them out of danger or whether it's to teach them, hey, there's, a, there's two roads or there's a dangerous road and there's a safe road. Let's stay on the safe road. So you're kind of in that cop phase, probably up until double digits. And these are arbitrary numbers, but kind of the double digit time frame. And then you go, you spend the bulk of your parenting that I've done this with three in, in the kind of the coaching phase. And it's not the coach we just talked about, or it's athletic coach, but you're teaching, you're training, you're developing. Um, so you kind of have the coach mentality where everything you're doing is to kind of develop them as human beings by 
by training them a certain way, by teaching them certain things, by letting them make them make decisions that may not be the best decisions and then coaching them through the consequences. And then the hardest one, and only a few parents that have dealt with this get it, is then they go off to college and you want to stay coach, but you can't. You got to be a consultant. So now they need to ask your advice because you're going to be overbearing and you're not going to let them really truly grow the way they should if you're still trying to coach them. Now you got to be a consultant. And part of being a consultant is you need to be asked for your input. And I remember when my oldest went off to Notre Dame to play volleyball and she went through some really hard times. And I had the answers. Like I really could have made it better for her. But we had this agreement. I spoke at her baccalaureate and I gave this exact talk. I talked to the caretaker, cop, coach, consultant. And I said in front of the entire school at baccalaureate, I said, please pray for me because this is going to be hard. I'm a control freak. You know, consultants going to be the hardest thing for me. And I sat there and watched her go through some stuff at Notre Dame that I probably could have fixed, but I didn't. And then finally, when she came in and called me in as a consultant, it was really good because I was able to na- help her navigate through some stuff, but she had learned some really valuable lessons with trying to figure it out on her own lessons that now at 23, she's crushing life and she she's engaged and she's using a lot of those tools that I would have stolen from her if I would have just jumped in as coach when she went off at Notre Dame and fixed for her. She never would have learned the skill set on her own. So I think it's really valuable. No, those are arbitrary numbers. And every parent, I think Jordan has a different acronym he uses. Uh, and I encourage people, again, because I stole it from somebody else to steal it from me. But it helps really frame, especially if you're one of those parents that's dealing with maybe a 9-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 16-year-old. Maybe they're all girls like mine were. Now you get into some really weird dynamics. You can't, you can't police the, nine, the 16-year-old like you're policing the 9-year-old. Right, you may have to coach the 16-year-old and police the nine-year-old. It just really helped my wife and I understand. Okay, here's child A. We need to parent her a little differently than child C, who's in a different walk of life. And when you lump them all together, then they're not always getting the best from you. They're just getting some of you. A few things you said there make a lot of sense to me. But number one is saying, hey, there's not one right way to do this right? Every kid develops a different rate. Every environment is a little bit different, but identifying, hey, where where am I at? And then not overbearing. I think that's a, something that can really get you into trouble as a parent is saying, I know all the answers. Let me fix it. Let me fix it. And they're either A, not ready to be fixed or B, they're so reliant. You, you end up raising a zoo animal because they're just like, okay, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how to do my laundry. I'll call dad. Like you have to let them kind of work through some of their problems, right? No doubt. We, we have a term in our house. I, I started using it coaching years ago with quarterbacks. I know I made up a word, but it, it tends to be spread often by a call figure it outness. Like one of the greatest traits you can have in life is figure it outness. And, and that sounds harsh at times, but if, if you let young people figure it out on their own, they'll grow a lot. Now they won't always figure it out completely right. And that's where you still may need to be a cop or a coach or a consultant and step in and lean into it as they make mistakes. But as they tend to start figuring stuff out, you know, it does, it builds confidence. They have a better view of themselves. They tend to get less overwhelmed when chaos comes. I know with my daughters as really hard things happen in their lives, real, real life stuff. 
they had confidence knowing that, hey, this is hard and I'm not happy, but I have the tools to figure out how to regulate during this time, how to emotionally, physically, mentally cope with this. I didn't need to take the easy road because I've been through some hard stuff and I figured it out. So I think figure it out. This is a huge thing for young kids. And when we solve all their problems for them, which is my nature, which is probably your nature, as you said, which is most of our natures, we stay too much into this caretaker, you know, role, even when they're 12. I know a lot of moms are still being caretaker and their kids in junior high and high school. Sure. We're robbing them of their confidence. Because now their confidence is in mom and dad, not in themselves. You talk to psychologists, you talk to, you know, educational leaders, and like confident kids tend to be better kids. Uh, Well, how do we build their confidence is let them figure out some hard stuff at an early age. I think that's probably one of the most important things that we as fathers can do or need to do is instill that confidence, especially in this day and age when you can just get blasted from every which way, whether it's a Twitter or Instagram or like you, we need to instill that confidence. Really, really important. I have another quick question about the cop and this is very subjective. I, I, it's, discipline is always a really challenging thing. Yeah. I think a lot of about just from your perspective was there any sort of technique that you used that you found to be effective we read baby wise when the kids were young i'm sure you're familiar with baby wise it's a great book gave us a lot of really good principles to use first time obedience was one of them our deal was and the best metaphor i ever heard was or analogy was if junior's running through the park you take him on a play date at the park and next thing you know junior's often running towards a busy street you say, and you yell, hey, Junior, stop. Does he take that as a mandate or a suggestion? Mm. And to us, first-time obedience was we wanted them to trust our voice, that when we were authoritative with something, that we meant it. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a demand. The hardest one ever was the, the, the dinner table or the, what do you call it, the baby seat where they eat their dinner when they're calm too. And Maddie would knock her baby food off of it. And we had a two-story house. And I'd have to pick her up, not in anger, but I'd pick her up and I'd walk her up the stairs. And I'd put her in her crib. And I'd sit outside the door while she cried. And we'd stop crying. I'd go back and get her. I'd bring her back down, put her in her, in her baby seat. And she would take a couple bites and she'd knock it off again. <laughs> okay, my legs are sore. I practiced all day. But I'm going to pick her up. And I'm going to take her up. And I'm going to put her in her crib. And on and on and on. But basically, every time they rebelled with, within love to make sure there was a consequence attached to that. So they knew that we meant it when we said, no, that's not appropriate behavior. And that first time obedience carries over even to this day that, you know, if I say something sternly, if we're having a family melee, <laughs> which happens sometimes, and I lay down the hammer and say, okay, stop. They don't take it as a suggestion. It is, okay, we're stopping because dad said to stop. And I don't use it as, I don't try to exercise power or control over them that way, but it really helped in their, in their want to be rebellious years where they were leaning towards wanting to rebel to be able to say, no, that is not how we act. And they understood it. They're like, oh, okay, I crossed the line. I can't cross that line. So I think first time obedience was huge. We did spank. Um, not a ton. It wasn't like over the top, but it was a way to, for them to understand that there's a consequence to their behavior. 
luckily because they understood first time obedience, it was not a common activity in our household. It was rare, but it did happen. I think it all fits under this umbrella of first time obedience of, you know, when a parent, when when an authority figure says something of meaning that it is not a suggestion, it's a mandate. And your job as a young person is to hear that and respond accordingly. I think those all just sound like great leadership techniques. And as long as your kids believe that you want what's best for them, I think that's the kind of the key so that they listen. Okay, dad said this. Okay, there's probably a reason I'm going to trust that he's doing what's in my best interest. So Yeah, and the why is a huge part. I probably left that out. You know, one one of the things with first-time obedience is you better follow it up with a why. This is not to exercise control over your kids. Uh, It's to help them. When these instances came up where you had to exercise authority in their lives, then the follow-up is, okay, here's why we're doing this. Here's what I'm trying to protect you from. Here's the lesson I need you to learn. Here's the long tail to this. I think one thing my wife and I really worked hard on was always not just giving them the why, but how is this going to look a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, seven years from now, 10 years from now. We use a lot of marriage, marital situations in our parenting. So point being like, hey, you need to learn this because one day your husband or your family dynamic is going to be like this and you need to learn the skill set now. So you're better parents than mom and I. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of vulnerability with my wife and I with our kids, especially they got older. Like our job is to make sure you're better people than us. Your marriages are better than ours. Your relationships are better than ours. You're more successful than we are. We joke around or we say, hey, do as we say, not as we do all the time. It's a joke, but they mean it. I mean, we mean it in the sense is we want you to be better than we are. And we're trying, even though we make some mistakes, we're not proud of those and we want to give you the skill set to not make these same mistakes that mom and I are making. It's really profound. And I think being vulnerable goes a long way to building that trust too. Because I think as, as kids, we end up thinking our, our parents are Superman when we, we're, we're flawed human beings. We, we're, we're a mess. Perfect. Everybody watching this is a mess. Those of us that admit we're a mess or those that don't. You got to be aware of the perfect people out there, right? You got to be a little nervous about that. Trent, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about the lows because life is all about, it's, it's a roller coaster, ups and downs. And you went through a really traumatic experience years ago with the passing of uh, one of your, your young children. I just, when I heard that story, I was just kind of like shocked. It was just kind of a shocking thing, but it's something that dads are going to go through. It's something that we're inevitably going to go through. Tomorrow's not promised. So my question, Trent, to you is, how, how do you push on? How do you deal with the passing in a positive way so that you can, you can turn into something that allows you to keep keep going on and keep surviving. So most know our story, but I'll just give the Reader's Digest version. Our, our second child, Trevin, T-R-E-V-I-N, our only boy, died of a heart, a virus attack his heart when he was five and a half. Freakish deal, one out of a million kids to get a virus, it attacks their heart. This was detected late, so he was on life support for 40 days. We eventually had to turn life support off. And you can imagine, and I think I'm to the point now, I may start crying. I usually can get through it these days without crying. Um, But it's the worst thing you can experience as a parent. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. But through that pain and through that tragedy, I think if if handled 
with wisdom, with love, with the right support system, with honesty and transparency when you're, I mean, I went through massive depression. My daughters have experienced fallout from it, but we kind of own it, you know, and we just kind of confront it face on and, and um, our faith is what's carried us. And I don't want to turn this into a sermon, but we believe he made a decision to follow Christ at a young age. We believe he's with his heavenly father. I'm actually at the point now where I, I can thank God that he is with him instead of me because God's doing a better job with him than I am. But I think, you know, I, we lean on our faith. We lean on each other. Uh, we lean on making sure that our lives together as a family would honor him. We keep him alive. In fact, I'm sitting here in my office at Lipscomb Academy, and I got a package today of a, a delivery of a picture that was drawn by the, the famous artist that drew the John Wooden black and white picture that everybody's familiar with. Well, that artist drew one of Trevin shortly after he passed, and I'm sitting here looking at it right now. It's getting ready to be hung on the wall. Mm. Uh, we, we keep him very alive. We celebrate his birthday. We celebrate his D-Day our community around the country because we've been so fortunate have so many different people around the country that have loved us well. And we've gotten to know over the years, uh, they celebrate with us, but I always get asked the answer. How did you deal with it? I think I'm still dealing with it. I don't think you, I don't, I think I'll go to my grave one day, probably still dealing with losing my only son. I would say how I deal with it is leaning heavily, heavily on knowing trusting completely that he is better off than we are that we're really the ones uh, left behind that that are worse off and trusting that through god's grace and mercy that he'll protect us from kind of the the huge fallout that could come from going through such a traumatic experience i really i i really appreciate you taking me to talk about that trent um I know it's something I hope I never have to deal with. I do know several families who've dealt with miscarriages and the like, and it just, it's, it's a really challenging thing. Um, so again, I'm, I really appreciate you taking a minute to kind of talk some of the, the acted ads through, through this process. Cause it's, it's, uh, it's certainly never going to be easy, but I think, like you said, leaning on your belief system, uh, your community sounds like probably some of the best ways and just take it one step at a time. Yeah, and I got to believe if you're listening to this or watching this, you're somebody that really cares about growing as a parent, right? As a husband. And, and I would say this, we had a great counselor. We are in Cleveland one year, and we, we were obviously getting counseling through this. And this guy is pretty renowned for his grief counseling. That's why we sought him out. He, he got this giant book, huge, probably that thick. And he goes, you know, I wrote this on grief. And he threw it on the ground. And he goes kind of hogwash because the principles matter and that's why I wrote the book and that's why I teach other people how to deal with people through grief but really grief is about letting each other grieve naturally and we're meeting them where they're at respecting them not judging how they grieve and that was such a huge thing for my wife and I because I love talking about it and crying and telling the story and being just out in the open with Trevin. My wife wants to keep it more internal. And when she gr grieves, she tends to keep it inside and she doesn't need to unpack it all the time. I always need to unpack it. And we're both cool with that. 
It's not, we don't do it the same, but we're cool with that. I like to cry. She likes to scream. I'm cool with that. She's learned certain lessons through the loss of her son that aren't necessarily lessons I've learned, but I'm cool with that. And I support her and love her through that. And I think if anybody's listening, they're going through it. My advice would be to love your spouse through however they're grieving, even if it's not the way you necessarily agree with or even think is healthy. Because if you start trying to control how somebody else grieves, now you've opened up a whole nother can of worms, an unhealthy can. And I think that's one of the best things we've done is not try to have all the answers for one another. That there's just bad days. And early on, there were really bad ones. I mean, there were really, really bad ones. And I knew my wife was worried about me self, you know, self-destructing, but she didn't try to micromanage me. And there's been times I've seen her go down roads. I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if that's the best road to go down, but I'm going to let her go down that road because that's how she's grieving right now. So you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your spouse. You definitely want to make sure you're not trying to protect your kids from the pain, but you're walking them through it as well so that they don't go seek out other avenues to cope with the pain. Like that's one of the most proud things I am of my girls is they never really, they never experimented with coping activities that were unhealthy, whether it be drinking or sex or whatever it was. They were just honest with their pain and would come to us and say, I'm hurting, I'm depressed, I'm sad. Can you help me get through this? Instead of going to their peer group and we're maybe getting high is a way another teenager is coping with their pain, which I understand. You know, I get that part of it. I'm coaching teenage kids. That's a reality to what teenage kids are going through. But <clears throat> talking about it and being honest about it and putting it out there instead of going hiding in a dark closet and doing something that you know isn't good for you, but it makes the pain go away. Well, it's been my experience that when you when you when you let things out, you let your problems out, and and you share your story and you share share your challenges. To me, that's been one of the most um, effective ways of dealing with it. So I, I really I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you you sharing that that wisdom, Trent, because I I know that there's going to be dads that listen to this that are going to be going through major 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 struggles. Hopefully, these words of wisdom can just give them another day. Give them another couple of days. We just we just passed National um, Suicide Awareness Day, and and someone in the community, uh, you know, didn't make it through that day. So, wow. no matter what you're going through, I think that just these these words of wisdom can hopefully help you get through it. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, Trent, that was this is pretty heavy. Uh, heavy but, stuff. Yeah, it, it's heavy. But look, that's what fatherhood is. Fatherhood is not just a walk through the park. It's it's challenging. It's difficult, but it can be extremely rewarding. I just want to segue out before I let you go into a quick rapid fire, a few quick questions. Okay. Trent, what is the favorite story for you to read or tell to your children? Favorite story? Ooh, favorite story? I think how, how, how my wife and I met, you know, we love going back and joking about she was the, I always say she, we had this class together as freshmen and I asked my buddy, I said, who's the hottest chick in the room? And he pointed up to a girl in a purple sweatshirt happen to be my wife these days and it gets the girls all uncomfortable dad you can't call mom hot like well she was she was smoking hot she still is I like telling that kind of our love story because I was kind of a mess you know I mean I was one of those typical knucklehead college kids and my wife really my wife and some great people in my life kind of got me out of that 
pattern of life. And, and, uh, I just, I just like telling them that one day you're going to be able to have this love story too. And, and now my oldest has, she's fallen madly in love. She's engaged to the man of her dreams and, and she's living out the same type of love story that her mom and I have. That's amazing. Lifting up your wife. I love that trend. It's beautiful. It's really great. Vacation, favorite family vacation. Gosh, we've been so lucky. We've had so many good ones. We, our favorite place on earth is Lake Tahoe, Incline Village. And we were lucky enough to have a home there for 20 years. And no matter whether we go to the Bahamas or Hawaii or whatever great thing we've been able to do, we've been very fortunate that way. Nothing's better than a family vacation at the lake and sitting out on our deck and eating something I barbecued and looking at Lake Tahoe. So that's all of us would say the same thing, Lake Tahoe. Love that. Favorite movie? Golly, I always ask these questions. I never, <laughs> I'm going to go with Rocky Four because I've been talking to my players about it and it would definitely be on the top 10 list anyway. So just because it's on the front of my mind, I'm going to say Rocky Four. Last question here for you, Trent. If you had a chance to talk to anyone in history, who would it be? Jesus, without a doubt. I mean, just because I think I, we have a special connection to heaven. Yep. That's the easiest way to tell the story of Trevin is we just, and many others do as well. We just have a special connection to heaven. We're going to be there one day. And I would kind of like to know from him what it looks like. He's definitely had a, a major impact on the world, right? Incredible. Love that. Love that. Trent, thank you so much again for being on Act Dad, the Awesome Dad Show. I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you? So I'm easy to find on Twitter, Dilfer's Dimes. Instagram, I'm private, Trent.Dilfer, but I usually accept pretty much any request. And then our football program where you kind of see the story of where my life's at now and what I'm doing is L.A. Mustang FB. So L.A. stands for Lipscomb Academy. Mustang is our mascot, obviously, then FB as in football. And that's both Twitter and Insta. I'm still doing some TV stuff on Fox, Colin Coward. I do weekly stuff on Twitter for Panini America, which is a trading card company. I do multiple podcasts and radio hits. If I haven't driven you crazy by this point with my analysis, you can find me a bunch of different ways. Absolutely incredible, Trent. I'll have links in the show notes down here. Thank you so much, Trent. Thanks, buddy. Stay awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. All I can say is, wow, I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. Thank you so much for being part of the Act Dad family. And thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. It means a lot to me. It's just so powerful to hear these amazing men tell these amazing stories that is empowering fathers all over the world, just like you. Please, if you haven't already, take two seconds. Go ahead and subscribe to the show. Every single Monday, I am launching a fresh episode with an awesome dad for you to listen to. I also want to remind you, Acted Dad, the Awesome Dad group over on Facebook is a really, really great place to check out. And you can always go see all the different things that we're doing over here at Acted Dad at www.actedad.com. Look, that's all I got for you. I will see you next Monday, same place, same time. Have an awesome week. Peace.